This Slate spoiler special is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create your own professional website or online portfolio. For a free trial and 10% off your first purchase, go to squarespace.com and use the offer code SPOILERS. The following podcast contains explicit language. Hi, and welcome to a Slate spoiler special about season two of Netflix's Orange is the New Black. Orange appeared in its entirety on Netflix on Friday, and we here have devoured all of it to discuss it in great detail with you. Um, I'm Willa Paskin. I'm Slate's TV critic, and I'm joined today by Slate's culture critic, June Thomas. Hello, Willa Paskin. Uh, Slate senior editor, David Hagland. Hi, Willa. And uh, Slate assistant editor, Laura Anderson. Hi, Willa. Hi, guys. I'm really excited to talk about this show. I've been saving it up every single one of my thoughts. Um, so I thought we would just start by maybe going around and, and talking about if we liked it or not compared to maybe last season. June. OMG, OINTB. I really loved it. But if I'm forced to compare it with last season, I, I guess I didn't like it quite as much. But I was very impressed with the way that they had kind of held back some people. That I saw there were still a few backstories, uh, which is something that I really enjoy seeing. And I st- it still managed to surprise me, which was the really huge thing about the first season was that there were some surprises that were so unusual on television. And they still managed to pull that trick in season two. So that was good. Yeah, I liked it. Yeah, I think the element of surprise is important because for me, I also liked it a little bit less. And I wonder to what extent that's because the show was not quite as good as it was in the first season or whether it was just that it was no longer so surprising. The first season was such a breath of fresh air. It was like, this is like nothing else on television. And, you know, the second season was a lot like the first season, which we've now seen. So I do think it felt very uneven to me. I think more uneven than the first season. And there are a couple of decisions that they made that we can get into in terms of where to take the show that I think didn't quite pay off as much as they should have. I still enjoyed it a lot. I I do think it was maybe a mild letdown. I think I tend to agree with David more than June. I thought that it was just a lot less fresh in the first season. There were a lot of storylines and moments and decisions that just felt really familiar to me as Hollywood tropes and sitcom tropes. Um, at the same time, though, I was really totally satisfied by it. I may be, like, a little too satisfied by it because <laughs> the end just, like, neatly tied up absolutely everything, and we can get into that, too. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think one of the things that's um, remarkable about the show to me is both how much I love it and how happy I am to be watching it, and then there's a part of my brain that is, like, some of this is stupid or, like, not as good as it could be, <laughs> and those things almost can totally are totally separate. Like, I would sit and watch 100 more episodes right now I wouldn't eat. I wouldn't shower. I would be so excited about it. And then I would also be like, but really, like, I think a lot of this was really neat and cheery. So to me, this season was, I think it actually started incredibly strong. I know that some people have issues with Piper. I think that Taylor Schilling is actually a really good actress. She's doing a really hard thing, which is anchoring the show. I think the fact that her and Alex you know, weren't the centerpiece of the show, and she still really was the anchor of the season is sort of a credit to her. But I thought that first episode was really great because it showed how messed up prison is in this way that I thought the rest of the season didn't quite, where it's like she gets on this airplane, she has no idea what's happening, she's completely powerless, and it's funny, and it's weird, and there's all these characters that are maybe a little too charactery for prison, but you also are like, you realize how horrible it is. And that over the next 12 episodes, it did get a little like hammy, a little like, you know, so-so calls it summer camp at some point, And you're like, kind of seems like summer camp sometimes. And that a lot of the darkness that um, sort of last season especially led up to 
um, it didn't it wasn't in this season, even though they introduced this sort of major villain. Um, I just think I thought it was basically, as you said, it tied up everything. A ton of horrible things seemed like they were about to happen and then they didn't happen. Um, oh, they weren't quite as horrible as they first seemed. One of the things that really struck me this season was somewhat on that uh, on that line of thinking, the way that the it seemed like the prisoners had such a better deal than the correction officers. I mean, at one point we hear that they earn $18 an hour and some of them are lazy, some of them are really corrupt, but it's kind of understandable when they're working while the prisoners appear to be sitting around. Now, if we know anything about the, the prison industrial complex, we know that that's you know, a very wrong way of thinking. But when you're watching the show, that's kind of how it seems like they have a little bit of work, but they sure seem to spend a lot of time just hanging out and kind of having fun together. Well, I, I like that this season... So one of the two things I think the show seemed to make a goal in the second season is that they were going to further complicate the, the prison employees. Uh, people like Caputo, Fig, uh, Healy, even though you know that that happened to some extent in the first season, uh, and I liked that. And I also think, I mean, I I used to work at a place called Penn, which has a, a, a prison writing program, and some of the people I worked with um, were really involved in that program and worked a lot with prisoners. And they made a point to also extend their services to the people who worked in prisons because mm-hmm. it is often horrible. I mean, it is often a terrible job to have. And I like that they became even, you know, more part of the drama in the second season. You know, the thing about the show is it has such um, a humanist impulse, right? It's it's sort of almost reason to be is to be like, these people in prison are people and we want you to see them as people. And last season, I think it didn't have that agenda with the guards as much. So it was willing to make them more caricaturish. But I think one of the things that happened this season that is to me was lacking is in this sort of really generous human sympathetic mode, it kind of makes everyone a little bit the same. Mm -hmm. And it takes a lot of edges off, which is that this is a prison in which all of these women seemingly are very much in the category of wrong place at the wrong time, good person who did the wrong thing, got in over their head. You know, obviously people who do really violent crimes, maybe if you got to know them in, in all of their entirety, you would like something about them just because TV's makes you, you know, it makes you identify with the person whose story you're hearing so much. But there's none of that. I mean, there's there's very little um, people who are evil and bad. And that is also, I think, a part of, of human experience is people who are, um, you know, would destroy your stuff because they could because they're bored, who are petty, who are nasty, who only are nice to their friends. You know, there's that scene um, where we have the flashback to when Red is first in prison and V is takes over, you know, the black girl gang. And those black girls who walk in, you know, you, we don't know them. And they look really scary. Mm-hmm. And it's like, there's nobody in Orange is the New Black right now who's scary at all. All those girls are like, they're basically, you know them and they're legible and they're nice. And and I just think that there is a, I don't want it to be Oz, mm-hmm. but there is like a missing piece there. But see, I thought that the introduction of V was the introduction of a villain who was actually bad. She, My understanding of V is that she's a sociopath. Like, she didn't have any sort of extenuating backstory. She's just, like, a really mean, manipulative person who uses other people to meet her own ends. And I thought that... It, what's the name of the actress? Is it Lorraine Lorraine Toussaint? Toussaint. I thought that her performance was amazing. I, you know, I, I, I was totally enthralled by it. And I felt that that was... I really liked that departure from last season because I felt like the villains of last season and, to an extent, also this season, like, Fig and 
Unicorn's Dash, they always felt like they were kind of in a slightly different tonal plane from the rest of the show, just kind of cartoonishly awful. Mm -hmm. And I thought that V was a much more realistic. But then what do you make of the fact that V basically completely gets hers? I mean, one of the things that's weird about this season is every single one of the prisoners' plans, I mean, these are powerless people it worked. Like, Piper successfully gets, like, Alex back into prison. Like, the girl, you know, Pusey and Tasty's relationship, which I want to talk about more, which is, you know, so heartbreakingly mm-hmm. starts to be torn apart. They end up being friends again. It's like, V dies getting run over by a van that, like, Morello gave to someone to run away. It just, there was a neatness. Like, I think that that was, you know, that was, V is obviously, like, a darker streak. But then they kind of just... They did. I mean, I guess I suppose she's alive. It's possible she's alive. We didn't see her body, you know. But she they just kind of did it. To me, but you're yeah, right. I, she could be alive. <laughs> I thought she seemed pretty dead to me as well. But they did never. the thing where the camera comes in on her face and yeah. she looks pretty dead. But you yeah, know. Um, I well, okay. So yeah, I agree that we. I want to talk about Pusey and Tasty as well. I thought that yes, the show seemed to sort of like just sort of like skim over the fact that their relationship had sort of fallen apart, and then they just like came back together very quickly and easily. Also, kind of skim over the fact that Tasty. Uh, somehow, like, came to the realization that V is, like, a really bad person, but that didn't really land for me. Like, I, what, she supposedly figured out that somehow, that, that V had, you know, basically, uh, you know, undermined and, and effectively killed off her other protege earlier. I mean, that yeah. just wasn't really explained how right. p- how Tasty came to this realization that V is really bad. That was a dramatic failure because we saw what happened to RJ, but... Tasty couldn't have known. And I guess we just see that Tasty sees the manipulation that V's doing and just realizes that, yes, she's a, yeah, a bad person. Yeah, but if this is something yeah. that she has been experiencing since she was a child, I mean, that requires a lot of, I guess, like psychological work in order to like get to a point where you realize that your maternal figure is evil. And like, I just didn't really see that happening. I mean, it seemed to me that this season was, season one had a lot of romance in this season, the romance was about friendship. It wasn't about love or it wasn't about sexual love. And uh, I think that in that situation, we're supposed to believe that Pousset's friendship overwhelmed the sort of the duty, the sort of filial duty that Tasty felt to V. But yeah, I, it was that wasn't terribly convincing. I do, uh, <laughs> I do want to just talk about um, maybe some of the backstories because I, you know, thinking about again, the kind of women that are in this prison. I think there is, and I don't have statistics at hand, but I think there is a misrepresentation of middle-class people, people who come from whole families who have sort of run into trouble but um, are basically middle-class. You know, we have Crazy Eyes, we have Pousset, we obviously have Piper, and that there we have So-So, we have a nun, and that the number of people, the number of women, I mean, even Cindy obviously has a mom who's engaged with her uh the number of people that are like Tasty, that are come from foster homes, that come from broken families, that have had really serious drug problems, that have really serious drug problems in prison is not – it's not a lot. Um, yeah, well, and I think too that, you know, one of the things that this show does is give us these dramatic and, and still to me kind of surprise – they're able to, to spin a surprise uh, backstories – because, in fact, most people in prison are there for small little drug offenses and that's yeah. not terribly dramatic. It's just you know. I did think yeah, that Morello's a... storyline was the one to me that was yes. like, oh, my God, she's really crazy. And it was in, you know, we that was the first time and maybe the only time where our read of a character turns out it was wrong. And it was totally you know, it was totally different than than her story. Like, it's not just that she commits credit card fraud. She put an, an improvised explosive device under a man's car who doesn't know her. I mean, that's really 
Well, that that was maybe the best episode of the season, right? I mean, because not only was it a surprise at the end, it was a surprise that felt right because she always seemed a little bit off. Okay. I mean, all of her going on last season about Christopher and right. and you know the, their wedding, it, it always uh, felt a little bit um, implausible. And so it wasn't – it was a surprise, but it was not a shock, and it didn't yeah. feel forced or contrived to have that twist. And it, and, it, and it did kind of open up that character in a really satisfying way, and she's always been one of the most entertaining on the show. Uh, and then later on when she has her moment with um, Natasha Leone's character. Nikki. Nikki. Um, you know, that, that felt – again, it was about friendship, like you were right. saying, June, and, and, it, and it was a, a very satisfying moment. I, I do think Nikki was, was not as present in this season as I would have liked her to be. Yeah. I mean, among the reasons why the show was slightly unsatisfying, I just think she's one of the best parts of it. Well, just one last thing on Morello. It did feel like, again, one of the themes of the season was rehabilitation, that some of the characters do did actually seem to have benefited from prison. Either, you know, Toki having conversations with Healy and actually, you know, someone's talking to her, someone's listening to her. Not terribly credible, but, <laughs> you know, that did seem to be something that they wanted us to think. And when Morel, you know, when they were doing the newsletter and Morello said, ah, I'm going to step away from, from drama or from romance or whatever it was, you think, oh, you know, you've actually, you know, figured out what you need to do to change your life and to work out your life. And that's great. Again, not necessarily plausible in the dramatic context of the show, but, you know, at least sticking to the theme. To totally change the subject a little bit, I, this should go back to V. I wondered if the whole thing was also like a capitalism riff, right? Because riff uh, on because it's like we have this like this V comes into a prison that is basically at stasis, like mm-hmm. right, like Gloria's running the the kitchen, but she clearly doesn't isn't on the make in the same way that Red ever was. There's calm, and then there's this person who comes in and sees opportunity and is gonna make money and totally screws everything up just because she wants to get ahead. And obviously, if it wasn't her, it would have been somebody else. But it's not really any of the girls that we know. And it's like this this person, this like evil force who's like this cap this capitalist basically, totally just like upends the the basically at that what seemed like a sort of placid everyone kind of getting along Litchfield situation. Yeah, and it was, you know, she chose an evil thing. Like Red also is a somebody who brings in stuff from the outside, right, but, but it's, eyeliner. it's yeah, <laughs> eyeliner and harmless things. It's gummy bears or Jolly were those, Ranchers. Were those Biore strips that she, you know, like when he when he's in her when he goes into the flower pot and she pulls out the things <laughs> and they sort of looked like seeds to me and I was like, oh, are those like I don't know what those are <laughs> yeah, that I he would. Sure those were either. <laughs> Maybe they were Biore yeah, strips to call like back to season one. Yeah, something right. like that. Whereas like V tobacco, you know, something that we all just think you know, it's worse than drugs. Uh, <laughs> and and so that it was very, you know. I, I will say that the, the, the last moment of Nikki having the heroin in the mm-hmm. is like the only real lurking, horrible moment of the show. Be, because I think the thing is, you know, she gave the drugs in. Speaking of things that were happy, it's like her giving the drugs in earlier. It's another thing to Red. It's like another moment where you were so relieved. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure it was plausible, but now she has this like whole stash, and that seemed one of the few things that wasn't tied up. I felt like there were a few lurking horrible moments that were either like sort of quickly resolved or or just kind of very briefly addressed, like the compassionate release episode. Mm-hmm. That's a really horrible thing that happened to this woman. Um, there yet- was more references to to the shoe and how it's used completely arbitrarily and how horrible it is. Um, or, or Fisher listening into the phone calls, which went nowhere because well, they found yeah. out about Daya's pregnancy, right? Yeah, although she, it didn't seem like yeah. you know, it, 
wasn't in, it was just felt like a very vague thing. And then there was the the transfer, the supposed transfer, and then uh, I feel like you know the horrible thing there is that Ruiz was going to be transferred. She was going to be separated from her baby, and like how incredible, what a, a, a like a travesty that is that this happens to people, and then that just suddenly like in the next episode, it's like oh never mind. That's not I happening. I kept expecting. See what I thought was going to happen at the end was that Caputo was like I'm going to be in charge. I canceled all your transfers, and then the last reversed was going to be, of course, Caputo doesn't end up being in charge. They point yeah. someone we don't know and all their transfers happen and everyone who thinks that they get to stay has to leave. And that would have been a right a horrible ending. moment. And they didn't do it. And I actually, <laughs> what, wait, what, what were we just, we were, the character we were just talking about, what's her name? Oh, uh, Ruiz. Ruiz, right. The moment for me, I think there's some moments that were just like clinked to me, really like clanked. <laughs> they were not right. And I thought one of them was Ruiz and her husband, you know, they're, or her baby daddy. Yeah, yeah. So he's been mute and not speaking. He brings the baby every week. She talks to him. He says these one things. We see this one episode where she has read the New York Times or some in prison has been informed, you know, in some parenting class maybe or on the what like has been informed from some other inmate about how you have to speak to your baby. It increase, increases their vocabulary thousands of times. Fast forward to what it was like one of the very last scenes of the whole show. He's verbally, like, talking up a storm to his kid, like, secretly he's been such a mensch the whole time. I just thought that was so cheesy. I mean, it was very sweet. It was very sweet, but it's like, this is the thing. It's like everybody within them is, like, such a good guy. Like, he's been sitting there stoically with his, like, tear tattoo. And no, but he loves, I mean, he does love his baby, but it doesn't mean that he has to do it in this this ridiculously, like, sort of bougie way, which is like, I also will take parenting class and talk a ton. Um, I want to get a little into the structure and the stakes of the show, but first let's hear a word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create your own professional website, portfolio, and online store. For a free trial and 10% off, visit squarespace.com and enter offer code SPOILERS at checkout. Um, Squarespace is simple and easy to use. It has a beautiful design and makes it really easy to drag and drop your own content. They have 24-7 support um, through live chat and email. You can start your trial with no credit card today um, and start building your website today. Um, If you decide to sign up for Squarespace, make sure to use the offer code SPOILERS to get 10% off of your first purchase. Um, We thank Squarespace for their support of the Spoiler Special. And now back to Orange is the New Black. So, you know, Willa, I think you're right that the that the show too often this season wrapped things up neatly or, or lowered the stakes just when it seemed poised to raise them. But I think that it has a real challenge uh, in doing anything else. And for me, that was made evident by the first episode, which you guys all seem to like. I, f- I would have hated if the whole season had been like that. <laughs> yeah. I didn't enjoy that episode at all. Yeah. And I respect that it was probably more true to some of the experience of being a prisoner and not knowing what's going on. It was just, it was kind of unrelentingly awful. But but I don't know that I could have watched 13 episodes of that. You know, uh, they have... Present, you know, presented themselves with this incredible challenge of making this kind of quirky, funny, enjoyable show that is, yeah, that is they, set in prison. But they ba- they did manage it better last season. I mean, I just really, again, like, I just go back to the sing-along where Soso's like, it's like summer camp. And then it actually is like summer camp and they're all singing Stay and the lights are out and they're snuggling. And it's like, that looks pretty fun. I mean, I, I said this to you guys before, but I would have bought that scene a hundred times more if they weren't singing Stay. Like if they were singing No Scrubs or Killing Me Softly or some song that it seems possible was meaningful to all the girls in prison and not just like the 30-year-old white ones. But I I still think that's a weird beat in in this show, which is like so much about, about the experience of prison. You know, they talk about it being horrible, but over and over you see it and you're like, 
this doesn't seem as horrible as you're saying that it is. And I thought last season, some of the threats, like even just having these porn stash who I didn't miss particularly, but just the threat of like this violence and this and having no control. I think that there's a way to play the no control up which I, without making it miserable, you know. I just want to point out that last year there actually was a single arm because they had that talent show. I mean, I think we might have might be sort of remembering season one with a little, you know, pink glasses. But at least at that season ended like that. There was a sing along and then. There was a brutal beatdown. <laughs> you know, those things came together. Well, and also the way that the show demonstrated the awfulness of prison last season was because they introduced this yeah. new person, Piper, mm-hmm. who was experiencing it all for the first time. And it felt like this season they tried to do that again in a, in a certain way with this it's character, so-so. Soso, who basically served to highlight how much Piper had changed because now Soso was the new person and she sounded like an idiot. She had no idea what was going on because we were, you know, as the audience and as, you know, our sort of proxies on the show, we had sort of wised up and we knew how rough it was. Um, But that was very dramatically unsatisfying. It felt like her, her character didn't have enough to do and we didn't really know her well enough and there are so many characters already. And she was so annoying. (laughs) I mean, the thing is, the show does, I think, feel, and this is what they did last season with Pensataki and the other math heads who got complicated this season a little bit. I think it feels really comfortable being really mean to middle class, um, you know, so-so's half Asian, but like white girl problems that they're very comfortable with making those people awful. And they're very comfortable with a whole range of issues. You know, I think some of the speeches that were given about um, white privilege by Crazy Eyes' mom, about Piper when she has on leave, demonstrate at once, like, how ridiculous these people are, how much they're trying. It seems like they understand the lay of the land there. And they're not always as unerring in other situations or they're more un- they're less comfortable just making them assholes, you know? Oh, I don't know. Okay, like Cindy, for instance, Cindy's backstory. She's totally an asshole in her backstory. She... I I actually love the Cindy backstory because she seemed that seemed like a real person to me, mm-hmm. you know, like just oh, told, she's like kind of a ham who kind of can't control herself and she means well, but she's so hard, you know. I thought that that was a really good story, but I don't know, I don't know if it's like she's sort of fun. I, I think that there's there's this way, and this is it's TV, so obviously everyone needs mm-hmm. to be very engaging. Mm-hmm. But it's like what a bunch of extroverts, you know, like what a prison of like people it's fun to chat with. Like obviously there's exceptions. Like there's Watson who's very quiet and but you know you they're also engaging and such good talkers. And Cindy is one of those people and it's sort of it does I just last season when we didn't know people better there was more quiet. There was more like there was more depressives. You know, there was a lot less depressed people. Wasn't there also more racism in season one? Yeah. I, I mean, there, there are definitely still the camps, and there was obviously the the dynamic with V on one side and her crew of all black women, and uh, you know, red. And they're and still starting the, a war with the Spanish. Yeah. yeah, but somehow it didn't. And again, yeah. I don't know to what extent if it was just that it didn't feel as fresh this time. But somehow <laughs> those barriers seem to be a little bit uh, fuzzier in a way that uh, is sort of easier to watch, doesn't feel as uncomfortable, um, but somehow in the end feels a little bit unsatisfying. Well, another of the things that the fact that it is a TV show means that, for example, once you've done something, you can't just keep doing it. So in season one, we established that Daya's mom is the worst. (laughs) She is horrible. And yet in this season, she kind of seems better because they don't repeat her past sins. And now she's kind of trying to do better with her daughter. She's still competitive and she's still she's a total bitch. and, And she is like figuring out how Daya can, you know, sue people and get money. 
but we don't repeat her bad stuff. So she seems like a baseline, you know, on the scale of one to 10 between one being evil and 10 being fantastic. She's maybe a five, whereas we know she's really a one. Yeah. But- Exactly, and Pensataki, who was horrible <laughs> last season and unbearable, it's not that she's not still ridiculous and a weird character in a lot of ways, but was way less, you know, we feel for her so much more. She's so much less awful. I mean, it's it, this is a thing. It's, I think that the, the show's goal is so generous and kind and good. It's, like, so good, really good in, like, yeah. a moralistic way that it's hard for me to be upset at it. But I do just think that it it cheapens it a little bit that there's nobody who's bad. Like, if nobody can just be as bad as people are, uh, it makes the good people... It just feels sort of too easy. I I don't know. Okay, I... So, thinking about the bad people in the show, I guess I was just thinking about Caputo and Healy, and I felt like, like you were saying earlier, the, the show definitely tried to complicate them, uh, make us, you know, humanize them a little bit. Um, at the same time, though, I felt like they still remained really... Awful people. I and thought like, Caputo was not awful. Yeah, oh, no, I think he was oh, totally no, he awful. Was still awful. He accepts that blowjob. I yeah. mean, come on. No, but I, but she's even at, more and awful. Then at the, <laughs> and then at the end, Bennett tells them that that Daya's baby is his, and he's just like, you know, shut up about. I mean, but, but, but that's horrible. again a good thing, right? In the moment in the show, that plays kind of good. I thought the Figueroa complication was actually weirdly the most interesting because she was still so awful and they like you still feel like she's awful but you suddenly know more about her um and and i do think that there is i think there are precedents that they could like learn from like the wire for example what not to you know they should they should be like the wire but the, the thing is the wire did do this thing where it was like it showed you what institutional failure was like right like the way that bureaucracy makes decent people horrible so we had healy talk about that that he had been this idealistic guy and then basically he realized he was totally powerless and that's kind of and that they he doesn't get along with them anymore and that's sort of what made him a jerk but the show doesn't actually demonstrate it so it's like fig or caputo you know, the idea that you would put someone who was trying to do their best, which neither of them really seem like that, into a position of power and then watch it just not work at all. I think that there's there's room for Orange to do things like that in a more effective way. Like, I thought the, the stuff with the shots where he's like, mm-hmm. you have to do more shots was one of those examples where, like, they almost got it, right? Because you could imagine that that's not only true because they're under orders to do that, but maybe, like, Big Boo shouldn't be able to kick a chair. She's in right. prison, you know? Yeah. and. And and they didn't quite like – then they had all the guards sort of turn against that idea as being like inhumane and bad instead of maybe them just being like, no, this is what we do and this is why this place is prison. Yeah, yeah I mean it did, it did back off that. It backed off the focus on solitary. Also weirdly – and I imagine this will come back in the next season. But the whole journalism yeah. subplot yeah. didn't really go anywhere. I mean ultimately well, – yeah, I mean – Ultimately, there were things that were revealed. Piper got into the files, right. but but that that character served a, a more minor purpose than yeah. I was expecting. Yeah, that was totally magical. I mean, how exactly would Piper? You know, I mean, it, no. It, again, she bumps all into of Caputo the, and he right. says, yeah. "Let me see." Right. And all of their schemes were successful. I mean, that's yeah. crazy. They are literally in prison, and they are all their scheming beats all the people outside of prison. I did want to talk about maybe I don't know how you guys feel about it, but uh, the poly. Um, Larry oh, of God. it all. I, I will say I'm gonna. I do want to say when my like almost my most screaming at the screen of the whole season was when 
Larry is like, would the moon do this and kisses Polly? And I want it to be like, that is exactly what the moon would do. (laughs) The moon would totally kiss the sun's best friend. You are so crazy. The moment that I wanted to scream at my computer the most was when Polly and Larry both together tell Pete that (laughs) Polly is leaving Pete. I mean, sorry, that's just like more like, how do you break up with your husband with your lover with you? It's just like, I don't know. I hated that subplot. I thought it was ridiculous. I felt like it was only okay in the sense that they were like, we want these people off the show basically (laughs) and next season is about Alex and Piper and we're done with this triangle okay okay, sorry to change the subject I'm just getting a little bit bored of Alex and Piper I'm not sure if I'm the only one whoa whoa (laughs) (laughs) okay maybe I am the only one All right. well did you guys have thoughts about Polly and Larry I actually didn't mind it I mean I thought that uh, Larry you know he's he's always been the weak link on the show he wasn't season one and (laughs) somehow this you know, it gave him something to do. It, like you right. said, it gets him sort of off the show, probably. And I actually thought that, you know, him and Polly coming together, I thought that was all handled reasonably well. I, that was one of the things that, you know, at the beginning I was saying that there were a lot of, like, Hollywood tropes that I felt that the show visited this season. That was one of them. It's like every single beat in the Larry-Polly relationship was just very predictable. And, you know, it was a dynamic that we've seen a million times before. Right. That, oh, you're helping me out. Oh, you're such a exactly, nice guy. Exactly. Yeah, no, oh, true. this woman has mistaken yeah. this guy for your baby daddy. So. Yeah, it, was, it was also I couldn't tell from the scene where they told Piper. Like, if we were supposed to believe that they were actually super in love or if they were like, this is us making this really wise, like, familial choice for each other, that we're both the stable people, I can rely on you, you can rely on me, and we have sex. You know, there was like, there was that moment where they said they were in love, but I just, I couldn't tell if I was supposed to 100% believe it because it felt a little No, I I thought, yeah, no, I thought that it was sort of... uh, some, there was some convenience yeah. there, mm-hmm. and they, you know, happened. To, they fell into each other for the obvious reasons, yeah. and that came through. Yeah. So it didn't. I completely see what you're saying, Laura. But I, but it's still. I was glad that it just kind of steadily moved towards yeah. that resolution, and then it was done. And I was, you know, it made sense in terms of who those characters are to me. We don't so. have to have still another not at all credible journalistic storyline with Larry ever again. That's true. <laughs> I did think that the um, poop on the doorstep store. I thought that was like funny and cute. And I actually also weirdly was moved. Like it was one of my like real moved moments of Piper eating a hamburger and drinking a 40 alone on like in Red Hook, basically on the pier in Red Hook. And I was like, I don't know why this is working for me, but this this is working for me. Like she doesn't want the champagne and she doesn't want her bougie life. And she's different. But wait, we do have to discuss Alex and Piper, who Laura just said are not doing it for her this season anymore. <laughs> so, okay, here's my defense to the extent that I can have a defense for such an opinion. I just, I think that the show has done a really good job of establishing that Alex is that person for Piper mm-hmm. who just, like, drives her crazy. You know, she can't get her out of her head. She's just, like, that figure in her life. And, like, we all know that there are figures like that in our lives. And, like, the show does a really good job of, of like, portraying their relationship. But, like, all the flashbacks, which are incredible, which I find very repetitive, um... And just, like, the, the continue, I don't know. It's just, like, it's sort of getting kind of, like, soapy to me. Like, the, the ups and downs of their relationship. Yeah. I'm kind of, I, like, I, I, it's just not that interesting to me anymore. Uh, see, I think it is soapy and repetitive, but I don't mind it because I like it. Yeah. And so it, I, I can't defend it except it's something of a relief to me. And I, and I was glad that she, that, that she wasn't 
all that present this time. And so it was a kind of a, a figure and you could really be that person who's in the back of your head and you can't get rid of. I'm glad that she wasn't actually there, but, uh, you know, I'm ready for it in season three. I, I am interested, I think also, and I don't know what the contract negotiations were like, but obviously Laura Prepon was not, didn't sign up for the season, was going to be in an episode. Then that news came out. Everyone was like, what? And she was like, oh, right, I'm on a hit show and everyone loves me. I totally want to be on this show. And and a lot of the structure of this season felt to me like something had happened in the middle, which is they wrote her off in the first episode. Then they realized after this chat, like, oh, we can have you back for the back end. We don't have it con- made for you to do that. So we're going to do these flashbacks. We're going to have you drop in because we have you for all of season three. And I thought that there was some floppiness there because of that stuff. And basically... All the ups and downs, we are now set up for season three for them to be together together. I mean, they don't have, like, for all the messed up stuff they've done to each other, they are totally in, like, they're in it. Like, okay. they're not they're not going to come back and, like, be like, ah, I still hate you. Oh, it's but, like, like, how many unforgivable things can you do to a person? Totally. So, like, okay, big one, ones. okay, another thing, this is slightly <laughs> changing the topic, but an- another example of them dropping mistakes is at the very beginning, at the end of the first episode, um, we think, we see that Piper has perjured herself, we think that they're, that something terrible is going to happen to her, no. And then, like, at, you know, a few episodes later, then they're still, like, back together, they still love each other, but, but... Well, I mean, they've both done such horrible things to each other, culminating again in Piper getting <laughs> Alex back into prison, which, you know, I kind of doubt Alex will feel fully grateful about. I mean, it's, I don't know. It's just like. But, but the thing is, I think that they had this conversation in the end of last season, too. It's like they're not going to work outside of prison because right. Alex doesn't have a job and doesn't want to have a real job and doesn't want to get a job. I doesn't want to stay in one place. So it is like they have this romance where it only works when they're incarcerated. It does work when they're incarcerated because they're both so desperate, but it's not like it doesn't seem to me like the show has committed to them having a happy ending forever do i want to see them make out in prison totally (laughs) i do i'm psyched to them to be cuddly and sweet like i think that that is i i i'm happy that that's going to be a part of season three well and this show is is going to have uh, its challenges for sure going forward because you know piper's uh crime was supposedly not that serious. You know, well, she I was... guess, I mean, that's what I think that whole com- complication achieved is that's establishing... How it, that's the... how it appeared. Right. But then he gets off. And so it's not clear that right. she could be charged with perjury now. It wasn't clear to but me. But, I mean, she got and in... It certainly in, never came she back. She got in in, like, September, right? And we saw Valentine's Day. So it's really only been, like, six months. I think she was okay. in for 14 months. It's like, it's like, this is TV math. They can... Yes. I think they very easily can make it four seasons. If they can make it more than four seasons with Piper, I'm sure they can come up with something crazy or do something else. Or, you know, if they're wise, they will end it because most yeah. TV shows should not be longer than four seasons. Or season. move on with her not in it anymore. But, I mean, right. I, totally. And I... That's true. Although I did think I said this at the very beginning. I think that Piper sort of proved her worth as like a as a point of view character this season, almost because she had so much less going on, and she still felt to me really essential to the story. And and let's talk about bodies. I mean, the thing that just blows my mind in the show is how okay there are some people who are not big stars, actors, are not standard actors. I don't know quite how to put it, but the way that you know that they. Find a way to show people, you know, without makeup, without just standard body. That's why Soso seemed so wrong because she <laughs> had the standard actress body. And, you know, it's just and, – and so the fact that Piper has it and yet she is different and she does have a kind of charisma or a good looks or something that in – and life outside as well as life behind bars, she is special and she does get special attention and treatment. And that's so real and I love that because the others wouldn't yeah. get it. And. Sorry. You know. I think we have to wrap up. We didn't talk about 
Rosa, and we didn't talk about Crazy Eyes, so we can all think about that quietly to ourselves. We can talk about you. at least one of those things next time. We also didn't time. talk about Poussey speaking German, which was one of my Or Poussey's girlfriend. Yes. Yeah. Or if we're talking Ganau, about bodies, Ganau. that was my favorite. Like, I much prefer the flashbacks of Poussey having sex with her girlfriend to the flashbacks of, of Alex and Piper having sex. And we'll leave you on that note. <laughs> Thank you very much for listening. We'll be back for our season three. <laughs> it is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.